we read a couple weeks ago. So, uh, friends, uh, we encourage you to read along with us. Uh, if you brought up uh, your own Bible or uh, if you have a Bible app, uh, you can use one of the Pew Bibles. I'll be reading um, in the ESV, and we invite you to uh, follow along. Again, it's Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning. They saw the, the, as they passed by in the morning, excuse me, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whatever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, today's message is called, Why Are You Mad? It is taken from a, a meme phrase. Maybe you've seen this. I, I did a little compilation of different uh, meme pictures, all with that same basic thing. Why are you mad, though? Why are you mad, bro? <laughs> uh, you know, on the surface, when you hear this pleasant meme, it seems like the person is kind of expressing concern. You know, maybe it's something like this. Hey, I noticed that you seem to be disturbed of mind and emotion. Pray tell, why are you so upset? Let's get to the bottom of those problems so that you will not be so angry. It's not good for your blood pressure. So let me ask you again. Why are you angry? Of course, that's not what people mean. What, what do people mean by, why are you mad? It's kind of a rhetorical question. It's basically, you're looking at someone and you know they're mad. And, and obviously, or, or oftentimes, uh, it's written in the most obnoxious way possible. Sometimes things are misspelled, you know, said with improper grammar. Why are you mad? Uh, and it's supposed to get a rise out of the person. You know, you're pointing out the fact that they're angry, and basically the subtext is, you look ridiculous. Your anger is so outplaced, and, you know, I'm just going to laugh at you, laugh at your anger. And so, uh, you know, without that kind of rhetorical, why are you mad? You know, uh, what are the reasons for that? Maybe you've seen it exist in other forms, just simply as, you mad, or is that a question? You mad? Or it's a statement. Yeah, he mad. Yeah, you're definitely mad. And friends, what I, uh, what's interesting to me about uh, uh, these memes is sort of how pejorative it is to be mad for some people. And I got to say, as a guy, this is highly disturbing. Because anger is one of the few emotions we have left. One of the few emotions that guys are allowed to uh, uh, express. Um, to be honest, I think with a lot of guys, uh, anger can be a big problem because it is one of the few uh, emotions that you know was seen as socially acceptable for a guy. You know, um, I, I think I, I mentioned this uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. Um, that, uh, you know, from the time that guys are very young, 
um, like we're told, hey, you know, don't cry. Don't cry. Be a man. Be tough. Um, I, I remember, I have this very distinct memory of one of my really good friends, and he had uh, two older brothers who were quite a bit older than him. And I have this memory of him crying at church. And I don't know what it was about, but he was probably like, maybe like seven or eight years old, you know? Like, like he's in elementary school. And so I don't know what it was. Like maybe someone called him a name or, you know, maybe he was getting bullied or, you know? And he's crying. And I just remember his brother just being like, hey, yo, stop. Just stop, man. Be a man. Be a man. Stop crying. Stop it. And, and you could just see him <laughs> just like try to suck the tears back into his tear ducts. <laughs> I can't help it. Just stop. Hey, be a man. Be a man. And so it wasn't okay to be sad. It wasn't okay to express that. And, and you know, the, the, the subtext of the whole, you know, why you mad thing is that, you know, there's something very uncool about even showing that you're angry. And so then what is the alternative to that? Being cool, calm, and collected. You know, just acting like nothing phases you. No emotion. You know, just, sup, bro? You mad? No, I'm not mad. I don't get mad. I'm just a stone wall, basically. I've turned off all my emotions. You know, I can just cruise through life and nothing affects me. Friends, it's not human, right? Today's passage actually is, is, is very interesting. It's one of the more uh, difficult passages to read, to be honest, in a lot of ways, because you see Jesus act in ways that we do not normally think of as being Jesus-like. You see Jesus expressing anger, and it makes people very, very uncomfortable. You know, maybe you've learned in the church that you're not supposed to be angry, you know? Um, but here we have Jesus, who we believe is the Son of God, and he seems to be getting angry. Uh, friends, let's just take a look at this passage. Um, I, I have to say, it's a very interesting passage. I went to visit one of the small groups, and just out of coincidence, like somebody asked me a question about the fig tree story uh, that, that we're about to read here. And he didn't even know that I was going to be, be preaching on this. And I was like, oh, hey, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I'm going to be preaching on that. You know, so why don't you just come back on Sunday and we'll talk about it. And he was like, yeah, but I got to know. <laughs> like, it's such a weird passage. I just got to know. And then for like the next 45 minutes, people were asking me questions about Jesus and anger and all these things. And so, friends, I think there's a lot for us to talk about here. So let's just dive into it. So we're told on the following day when they came from Bethany, he, he being Jesus, Jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf he went to see it if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So uh, I guess that people have like kind of calculated because this passage takes place around Passover time. And so they calculated that probably fig trees in that region wouldn't produce fruit for another about six weeks, right? And so Jesus saw a tree, and maybe he didn't know it was a fig tree. Maybe all he saw was a tree that had leaves on it. And thinking like, oh man, I'm hungry, I hope it's got fruit. And when he rolled up, he's like, oh shoot, it's a fig tree. Fig trees don't produce uh, fruit for another few weeks. And Jesus curses the fig tree, right? Well, we'll get back to it in a moment, but the fig tree is going to be no longer able to produce fruit. It's going to wither up, right? And I, I was reading some commentaries on this, and I, I was reading William Barclay's commentary, and he was like super honest about that, about this passage. He was like, basically, I don't know what to do with this passage. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this passage. This is Jesus acting almost like petulant, you know, being kind of petty. You know, like, like how unrealistic is it to expect a tree to produce fruit when it's not even in season for another six weeks? And so what people normally do with this passage is they super spiritualize it. They turn it into a parable, right? They're like, oh, there's something that can be gleaned. And don't get me wrong, friends. I think that there's actually, you know, good 
pun intended, fruits that can be gleaned from looking at this symbolically. Like people do point out the fact that um, it's bookends for the story of Jesus going to the temple and clearing house. And maybe this is a way of saying by bookending the story with, you know, you go to the fig tree, you curse the fig tree because it's not productive, and then you come back and it's withered. And then in between is Jesus going to the temple, institutional religion, and seeing how corrupt institutional religion has become, and that this is a commentary on how fruitless this institutional religion is. Right? Israel is supposed to produce fruit, but they're not. They have become corrupt. Man, that make a pretty good sermon. <laughs> you know, that, that's pretty good. And friends, don't get me wrong. I think some of that is there. But it's interesting. Jesus tells parables all the time. And if that's simply what this was supposed to be, I think it just would have been a parable. Jesus would have said, uh, there was a man or there was a farmer who came upon a tree, right? He would have told it in parable format. But that's not the way Mark tells the story. Mark tells us that it's Jesus himself who sees the tree and is not okay with the fact that there's no fruit. So the question is, why? Jesus, why did you do this? And, and I'll tell you the same answer that I told the person at the small group on Thursday, because that was his question. He was like, why does Jesus get so mad? You know, it, it just seems unreasonable, right? And I'll give you the same answer. You guys ready? It's very profound. Very, very profound answer. I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows why. And friends, I, 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 that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I do think that can be kind of profound. Sometimes you don't get the answer. You know, the scripture sees fit not to tell us why Jesus gets mad. Simply that he did. Okay, so these are the facts of the case. Verse 12, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. That's one verse unto itself. Jesus was walking, he had a long trip, and he was hungry. Hmm. Amen. <laughs> what does that tell me? What does that tell me? That tells me that Jesus is a human being. Right? Yeah, he's fully God, but he's fully man. And we sell that part short all the time. We super spiritualize Jesus. You know, Jesus never had body odor. Jesus never got angry or hungry or had to use the bathroom or got shy around girls when he was little. Friends, he was a man. He was a human being. He probably did all those things. Jesus sweated. Jesus cried. Jesus got stomach cramps, right? And when you over-spiritualize Jesus, then Jesus has nothing to do with your actual life, right? We put Jesus so far on a pedestal that everything he says, we're like, oh, Jesus, good for you. But I could never do that. Mm. That has nothing to do with my life because you're Jesus. But here's a, a dude who was on a long trip. He's hungry. He's really hungry. He looks at a tree. He's like, oh my gosh, I hope there's some fruit. He rolls up. He's like, no fruits. And he gets angry. Man, stupid tree. Hope you never produce fruit again. He gets angry. Maybe, friends, I mean, you know, Keep in mind what I said before. Maybe there's symbolic value to talking about fruitlessness and organized religion. You know, I think that could be a fine sermon. It's interesting, though. Jesus doesn't make that parallel himself. Right? We're so desperate to find the, 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 the moral of the story. right? And why can't it just be the moral of the story or maybe no moral of the story? Maybe just the point is Jesus got mad. Jesus got frustrated. And that's okay. You know, I, I, for me, so many times um, in my upbringing, I was taught in, 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 you know, maybe not so many words, but I was taught, don't get angry. You know what? Christians don't get angry. Mm. This is not a very Jesus-like thing to do. And the thing is, actually, a lot of uh, the men in my family um, don't really get angry in public. Well, I'll give you... Okay, some of the men in my uh, family never get angry in public, and some of the men in my family always get angry. And I'll tell you that for both, it's an anger problem. 
So there are some men in my family who are just angry at everything, just every little thing. Stupid! Oh! What? And, and they just get so worked up over everything, right? They're just angry all the time. And then there's other men in my family who's like my dad and myself. Um, we never really get angry in public. And so, you know, my dad, uh, he, he's a professor uh, at, at University of Cincinnati. He's going to retire uh, in a week, uh, very soon. He's going to retire very soon. But um, he, he, he's a professor, and um, I, I was told by someone who took his class that people had a nickname for him. They called him Professor Smiley. Because they were like, oh my gosh, this man is always smiling. People always used to tell me, like, like, Steve, your dad is so nice. I wish I had your dad. Oh my gosh, he's so nice all the time. And I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> that's just because what you see at church, right? Like, that's his public persona. And, and don't get me wrong, my dad doesn't get angry often. But when he does get angry, and actually he's gotten better, but when I was growing up, this was the way it was. When he did get angry, it was Mount Vesuvius. You guys know Mount Vesuvius? A volcano. It was a volcano. It was explosive. Oh my gosh, I feared for my life when my dad got angry. Right? And this is often the case with me. You know, I've learned the same thing. So what happens, friends? There's a scripture that I think is very interesting. Uh, where Jesus talks about anything that is hidden does not stay hidden. It will get uncovered at some point. Right? So how does this apply to anger? When you get angry, which is a normal human experience, right? People get angry all the time. And you don't express it. You don't deal with it in any way. You don't let it out. But you just, mm, just push it down. Where does the anger go? Does it go away? Mm-mm. It goes into you. And whatever is hidden will not stay hidden. It's going to come out at some point. And by the way, friends, it takes great effort to fight that anger. Oh, I shouldn't get angry right now. Mm, oh, mm. And so what happens is a lot of damage to yourself. For me, I get lots and lots of stomach aches. You know, maybe someone you know, cuts me off in traffic. Well, in traffic, I just let it loose. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm learning. I'm growing. Uh, but when I'm in public, like at like a grocery store or something, maybe someone's not noticing me, and they just... Like, you know, just fly right in front of me, almost hit me, like, like, almost like I'm not there. Or they expect me to get out of the way and I have to, like, jump out of the way, you know? And I've learned it's not socially acceptable to be like, hey, man, hey, I'm here. It's not cool, right? So what do I do? Mm, mm, just push it down. And I get a stomachache. I get, like, a stomachache for the rest of the day just thinking about it. And I keep replaying that scene. Oh, I should have said this, right? <laughs> Friends, that anger didn't go away. But because I didn't feel like I could express it, it gets pushed down to come out at a later time. Maybe at my kids. Maybe at the most inopportune moment. When I can't control it any longer, just, bah, it explodes. Now, the other men in my family who get angry all the time, what is interesting about that, too, is that I think they're also fighting their anger, but in a different way. When you get angry and you express it in a really angry way, a lot of times we're thinking to ourselves like, oh man, I look so foolish right now. Maybe you see a meme in your head. Why are you mad though? Why are you mad though? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm mad. And you just get more mad. You're like, I wish I could be more self-controlled. I wish I wasn't like this. We talk to our, uh, our daughters about this sometimes, you know, and sometimes like we're talking to them about not getting angry. And, and or, well, actually, let me... Let me rephrase that. We tell them it is okay to be angry. But how you express your anger is very important. Because oftentimes when you're angry, and you know, like, like, so we tell them, use your words, use your words. And they're like, I'm so angry. <laughs> like, okay, that's not helpful, right? And usually what happens in that is they see our response to that. We're like, whoa, or we're like, hey, stop, or whatever. And they realize that that's not something they should be doing. And that actually makes them more angry. You get angry because you got angry, right? This is a big problem in my life, right? And so for a lot of us, we haven't learned that it is acceptable. It is okay. It is perfectly human to be angry. We're going to get back to that, but I want to continue because 
we're going to raise the stakes a little bit. Some of you guys are like, well, Pastor Steve, that's just Jesus getting angry at a fig tree. You know, no big deal. No harm done. Well, in the next part, we're going to see harm done. <laughs> so here's Jesus getting mad, and uh, the stakes get raised. He, he comes to Jerusalem, and he enters into the temple. And we're told he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Friends, what's going on here? I've heard some people talk about, they're like, oh, you know, like these people are providing a service. What's the big deal? You know, like, like, they, like there are people who are coming from very far away, which is true. This is taking place during the feast of the Passover. A lot of people were making pilgrimages to Jerusalem and they naturally would visit the temple. And he actually had to pay a, 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 a semi-yearly uh, temple tax. And oftentimes it would be paid on Passover. And a lot of people would be coming with money and they'd be coming from other nations. And so, yes, they would need their money to be changed at some point. So what's the big deal? The temple being like, well, you need it changed anyways. We're going to change it for you. Or what about a sacrifice, right? Like, like the doves and stuff. You know, doves were a very common sacrifice. And if you're coming from far away and, and, you know, you got like a whole caravan full of people, how practical is it to bring livestock, right? And to bring it from miles and miles away and have to feed it and have to, you know, like deal with, clean up its poop and all this stuff, right? So how much more convenient does it get than to, to actually buy it at the temple, right? Like you just show up and it's there. It's like going to graduation and those people sell the flowers outside, right? They're like, hey, you don't want to carry those flowers in? Yo, we'll just sell it to you. What is the problem with that? Well, if you know about like, you know, buying the, the flowers at uh, graduation, it's so much more expensive when you buy it at the, you know, at the venue, right? It always is. You know, it's sort of like a convenience tax. And friends, the big clue here is in what Jesus says. What he says condemning this practice. Well, he says two things. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. By the way, the word for nations there is Gentiles. My house shall be called a house of prayer for the Gentiles. But you have made it a den of robbers. The word for robbers is brigand. It's like highway robber. You know the story with the Good Samaritan? Same thing. You'd see these people who would wait on the side of the road, and there would be unsuspecting people, and they would just come out and violently rob them, sometimes murder them, or really hurt them in some way, right? Like in the story of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus isn't just saying like, hey, you know what? I'm condemning this capitalistic money-making venture. No, he's saying you are robbing these people. What you are doing is not right. It is not just. You are harming these people. And so, friends, there's several things going on. Where this takes place is called uh, the court of the Gentiles. So imagine the temple is actually a temple within a temple. So you have the outer gate of the temple, and it delineates a large amount of space. But a lot of the things take place in the inner part of the temple, and only certain people can go in there. So the court of the Gentiles, as you can imagine, is the only place where the Gentiles can go, and it's outdoors. It's also the largest area of the temple, right? And so can you imagine building this temple For what purpose? Why is the court of the Gentiles the largest area? So a lot of people can come, right? But if you were were going to be doing this thing to change money and to sell sacrifices and this sort of thing, where would you probably do it? Well, in the biggest area. It's the outdoor area. And in their mind, it's the less sacred area too, right? And so the Gentiles, they can't come in to the inner courts, So they have to stay on the outside. 
But because it's the Feast of the Passover, so many people are coming from other nations, and they make these pilgrimages. Some of these people are not very wealthy. And the Gentiles, of course, are not seen as being on the inside. They're outsiders. The only place they can go in the temple is the outer court. Why are they even coming, friends? Why are they coming? They're coming to connect to God, right? And there's something about this that makes Jesus so mad. He's like, my house shall be called a house of prayer for the Gentiles. This is supposed to be a place where they can connect to God, but you have overrun it by this time in in the history of Israel. The, the, The court of Gentiles was not a place where you can pray. It was a marketplace, right? And so Jesus looks at this and makes him so angry that these people are kept from being able to pray because they're just in a marketplace now. And by the way, with with that comment about being robbers, they were not doing fair exchange rates. The exchange rates were very, very exorbitant. In fact, um, William Barclay comments uh, in his commentary that at, at the lowest prices of a dove, doves were very cheap at that time, that, that a, a dove could cost about three silver pieces for a pair. But inside of the temple, they could cost up to 75 pieces a pair inside the temple. Do the math. That's 25 times more expensive. You ever go to a movie theater and they charge you $5 for a, a drink? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is a ripoff, right? It's like 10 times more Friends, can you imagine 25 times more? And, and yeah, you could bring animals from outside, but of course, they had to be without blemish. You'd have someone checking it, and of course, they would always find something wrong. Mm, I'm sorry, those doves are not presentable. Hey, we have perfectly presentable doves. If you would like to, to uh, uh, just buy right over there, just go to that tent, right? We take Visa and American Express, Right? Friends, you know who was actually profiting from this? It was the high priest's family who was doing this. In other words, this is a racket. Jesus looks at this, and he's not like, oh, hey, just be cool, bro. (laughs) Why are you so mad? He was like, no, this is not right. You are exploiting the pilgrims. You are making it so the Gentiles can't even uh, connect to God. You're making this great impediment and you're profiting off their backs. You're exploiting them. And so Jesus gets mad. And he doesn't just, you know, like tweet about it or complain to his friends. Oh my gosh, you're not going to believe it, right? He does something about it, right? He overturns the tables. He prevents people from coming in. He puts up a great commotion. And the chief priests and the scribes, when they heard about this, Um, they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Um, So, friends, here you see um, that Jesus was disturbing the status quo. And maybe some people would look at Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you think there's better ways to do this? Jesus, you know, you're supposed to be calm and all this stuff. But Jesus doesn't play that game. Friends, I want to tell you about um, some friends of mine who, who also uh, have gotten angry about things. And, and this is one of the great lessons of this passage to me. Is yes, anger is a part of the human experience. And anger sometimes is what is called for in this situation. Like in this story, right? There's an injustice. There's something that is not right. And Jesus goes to fix it, right? And friends, um, I think in this day and age, um, you know, there there are a lot of people who look at people who are being civilly disobedient. And we look at them and we say, hey, isn't there a better way to do that? Can't you do it in a calmer way? In a way that doesn't disturb so many people? You know, it's very interesting that nowadays there's not a single person who would say a, a, a bad thing about Martin Luther King Jr., Right? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. had horrible approval ratings in his day. They, they actually did poll people. What do you think about Martin Luther King Jr.? And his approval ratings were probably around 40% throughout his entire uh, uh, 
his entire um, public ministry, if you want to call it that, um, that people were like, ah, don't like it. There's better ways to do it. Nowadays, we've, you know, embalmed Martin Luther King Jr. He's dead, of course. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What he did was okay. But now when we see people being civilly disobedient, we get so uncomfortable. But could there be things that are worth getting angry for? Let me, let me tell you about a couple of my friends. So this is my friend, uh, Steph Chang. And Steph, uh, we got a picture of her. I know it's a few slides down. Um, so Steph actually came to speak a few years ago uh, at a youth group lock-in. And Steph was a staff worker for InterVarsity. And uh, she got really angry about human trafficking. You know, modern slavery that happens even in the United States. And oftentimes uh, children, uh, it's not always women, but sometimes women, um, who are forced to act as sex slaves in this country, even to this day. Uh, Steph, a few years ago, uh, worked through InterVarsity and some of these other organizations, Christian organizations, uh, to host an event at University of Michigan called The Price of Life um, to raise awareness about uh, 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 human trafficking. Uh, she's a Michigan grad, by the way. Um, but a few years ago, she decided to step down from that ministry position and to join the Michigan State Police. So this is her by her cruiser, right? And the reason why she did that was so that she could be on the front lines to actually be one of the people to free people from human trafficking. I want to tell you about another one of my friends. Um, his name is Day. And we actually have a, a video of Day. It's a very short thing about some of the things that Day gets angry about. I think we're going to try to add in the sound. Uh, my name's Dayshit Kim Hawkins Jr. I'm a journalist slash community organizer slash angry Twitter person. I report on things that happen on the ground and I try my best to be the mouthpiece for communities that don't usually get a seat at the table. Do you care that I'm recording you right now? I'm documenting everything. Do you mind if I document this? What's the issue we're addressing today? We're here to address the homelessness crisis in Seattle, Washington. We don't view human beings on the street as whole people. We view them as, as a part of humanity that, um, that we're allowed to disregard and kind of overlook. So last year alone, the homeless population increased by 19%. And until we believe that no one belongs on the street, we're going to see these numbers continue to increase. What is a sweep? Just explain that to me. Yes, yeah, a sweep happens when the city and authorities go into a homeless encampment and forcibly remove them from their homes. Captain, come down here. Yeah, you got warrants or something? You're worried about warrants? Just sweeping them off, you know, treating them like literally like trash. How often do they sweep happen? In 2016, there were over 600 sweeps, an average of twice a day if you're going seven days a week. This past week, I went to seven sweeps in five. So uh, we, we actually had to cut the video short because uh, um, there's some profanity in it. But because <laughs> he gets upset. He gets upset. He's like, hey, you know, it's in some of the, the coldest months of the year, just sweep these women, these women and children and these people away. And um, uh, so in Seattle, uh, one of the things that's happening is because it's become a tech hub, is that the, the housing is so expensive that uh, even people who are um, just, uh, you know, making a normal living wage in most other cities can't live in Seattle anymore. So homelessness is exploding. And so um, the homeless population is growing and that the city's response to it, as you saw in the video, is to literally sweep them away. Hey, we don't care where you go, but you can't be here. Right? And so my friend Dave is very upset about it. And he does something about it. Friends, um, there is a, a lot in this passage that talks about anger. And, and I want to show you uh, another passage about anger that's become one of my favorites. And this is uh, Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. 
It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So uh, I I really like this passage. Um, As you may have noticed that we have been using the ESV. Uh, This is reason number 567 of why I prefer the ESV over the NIV. In the NIV, if you look up Ephesians 4, uh, verse 26, it does not say, be angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Is it the same? Well, it's similar, right? But what is the implication of that? The implication is just kind of like, hey, if you just happen to get angry, don't sin, right? But I really like the true translation. This is actually the literal translation of this passage, is be angry, and do not sin. It's, it's a little more forceful in the permission department, isn't it? Right? You get to be angry. That's part of the human experience. Everyone gets angry. Jesus gets angry. Don't try to suppress your anger. That's futile. Right? Be angry, but in your anger, don't use that as an excuse to sin. What is sin? Sin is what separates us from union with God or one another. Right? And so in the ways that we treat people as less than, we hurt them, we harm them, we, we, we use our anger to cut someone down, that is something that God is against. But just the human experience of getting frustrated, of getting angry, of looking at something in your life or outside in the world that you say, this is not right, That is perfectly within the domains of what it means to be a Christ follower. In fact, maybe it should be encouraged at times. Because it's just part of the human experience. You're going to get angry, right? And there might be times where we even get angry at one another. And it says, hey, let's put off falsehood. You know, have you ever seen people who are falsely nice? This is sometimes the way it is in church, right? We get so caught up in anger and not being angry as a form of identity, right? As a form of status. Oh, I don't get angry. I'm a nice person, right? So we act nice in front of people, right? And so, you know, you see people at church and they're so nice. Oh, hi. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, I like your dress. Oh, your kids are so cute. And then later when they go home, they're like, yeah, can you believe that person? Friends, I'm just saying, I, I, I don't think that I'm the only person who's heard this, that gossip can be a big issue in churches, right? People being really nice to your face, but behind your back saying all kinds of stuff, right? So, so what is that about? Is that about not being angry? Is that about um, being you know, nice and being kind? Or is that about the appearance of being that, right? I mean, you really aren't okay with that but you just don't want to say it to their face. So the Bible encourages us to speak truth to people, right? That might be uncomfortable. That might take a confrontation. Oh, man, it's so much easier to smile and act fake in front of somebody and then talk trash behind their back, right? That's so much easier, right? And and the alternative of just eating it and just acting like it doesn't bother you, well, that's not realistic either. It's going to come out in some way. Someone is going to get harmed by it. It's going to be you, or it's going to be other people, or it's going to be both, right? But what the Bible says is be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what does this mean? Does this mean that by the end of the day, you should solve all your anger issues? I actually don't think that's what this means. This comes to mind, or this brings to mind another scripture that talks about reconciling with your brother or sister that has wronged you or that you've wronged before the sun goes down. That's what this is talking about. Do something about your anger. Don't just sit on it. Don't just let it fester, but use it for kingdom building, reconciliation, right? That can be an opportunity for you to have an uncomfortable but truly life-giving conversation with somebody that you feel like has wronged you, or maybe somebody that you've wronged, right? So before the day goes out, don't let that anger sit. Why? 
Because you're giving opportunities to the devil. Remember, there is nothing hidden that will stay hidden. That anger does not go away. It just grows into something else. Let's go back to uh, Jesus. So after he leaves uh, the temple, that uh, we're we're told that, um, verse 20, we're going to go back to, uh, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Why do we get angry, friends? We get angry because there's a situation that we don't think should be that way, right? In whatever way. You know, I'm hungry. I think there should be food. (laughs) I want there to be food. You know, I wanted to get an A, but I got an F instead. I'm angry. I'm not okay with that. I think that there should be justice in this world, but there isn't. I feel like people should be treated equally regardless of the color of their skin or any situation, but they're not. That makes me angry. And the thing with anger is that it builds and builds and builds as we feel helpless. As we feel like there is nothing that we can do about it. That's why a lot of people do something. But there are a lot of people who do nothing about it. We just feel helpless. We just look at the situation and we're just, we're just angry all the time. We're angry all the time and the anger just builds and builds and builds. We feel out of control, so we try to get some control in our life. That helps with the feeling of anger. Oh, I feel I live in this uncertain world where I can't control anything. And this is the thing in this passage. Jesus says that you must believe in your heart. You must believe that um, you have received already what you asked for in prayer. You must believe that God is able to answer prayer. You must believe in the power of God to be able to affect change in this world. Right? God can change things. Things will not always stay that way. That Jesus goes so bold as to say that your faith can get to the point where you can look at a, a mountain and say, mountain, jump into the sea. I know that's so radical for us. I know that's even troubling because you're like, oh my gosh, how do you even do that? But this is the degree to which Jesus has faith. That he believes in this God. He believes what God is able to do. And friends, for a lot of us, even something as simple, well, okay, maybe it doesn't sound simple. I don't want to bring this down to something, you know, insignificant. But it may seem mundane to you, just an ordinary thing to forgive someone else. But what does Jesus say? He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And friends, I got to tell you, there are a lot of people I know who will say things like, Pastor Steve, forgiveness, it sounds great. But in some situations, it's just impossible. Pastor Steve, you don't understand. There's just some people who don't deserve forgiveness. There's some people that you just can't forgive. There are some people that it, it just goes far beyond the pale. They should not be forgiven. They cannot be forgiven. I don't care what you say. And and Jesus is saying, when you stand before God, yes, God can do anything. But when you stand before God, you must forgive. Why? Because God forgives you. And maybe for some of us, that seems impossible too. Like, oh man, some of the things I've done, mm, those are so unforgivable. Some of us, our anger is self-directed, by the way. We're angry at ourselves because we can't even affect change in our lives. We keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. Anger in a world without God is just going to become more anger because you're going to live in a world where there are some things that can't be undone. You truly aren't in control. And and by the way, we aren't in control, but there is someone 
who is. And even something that seems so impossible as a reconciliation between people who've really been aggrieved, that is something that God can do. That's something that God desires to do. Friends, I I know there's a lot of different layers to this. But I want to encourage us, friends. Our God is a God who brought Jesus from death to life. He's a God who regularly does the impossible. And friends, yes, you might get angry about things in your life. You might get angry about things that you see in this world. And I want to encourage you not to suppress those things, but to fully be able to express it, but also with the hope of the resurrected Christ. Not in that that despairing way where nothing can be done, but in a way where you can bring it before God and still believe that God has the power to resurrect that people. That there is nothing outside of God's control. And some of those conversations you have when you're angry are going to change because of that. So friends, if you feel like it is unavoidable, your anger is unavoidable, Right, And you're getting angry, and maybe you acknowledge that. But it gets acknowledged in this way. I'm angry, and there's nothing that can be done. This world is rotten, and, and is outside of my control, and it just grows and grows and grows. But I wonder if that conversation can happen with an all-powerful God that can bring dead people, who can bring dead people back to life. We bring that before God, and there's a way that we can say, God, I'm angry. But you know what? You are in control. You are God. You may be asking me to do something about this anger, but I don't have to think it all depends on me. And it doesn't all depend on them. You are still in control. I can express that anger without letting it overwhelm me or get the best of me. So can I just ask the praise team to come up? Friends, um, I do think that there are many times where, um, you know, our anger or the things that we um, like to think about ourselves, we, we either want or we fear that that will become part of our identity. And that's maybe one of the things that we flee from, right? We worry that if I express anger, then people are going to look at me and they're going to think I'm an angry person. I don't want them to think of me as an angry person. We're always like managing and curating um, you know, our image before people. And I really appreciate Jesus because he didn't do that. Right? You know, Jesus saw an injustice and he went for it. And he wasn't thinking like, oh my gosh, what are people going to be tweeting about me? You know, what, what is my reputation going to look like? I'm supposed to be the gentle Messiah. And all of a sudden, people are going to think I'm some kind of rage monster. He didn't worry about that. He didn't worry about people's um, it, perceptions of Jesus. And by the way, you know, some 2,000 years later, there aren't a lot of people who are like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Like, man, Jesus was really angry. He was an angry person. <laughs> that happened in his life. Yes, that was part of the human experience for Jesus. But he was not defined by his anger. What defined Jesus is that he was the son of God. Friends, what defines you is that you are a son and daughter of God. You have divine worth and what you do or don't do doesn't define you. Maybe you did lose your temper. Maybe you did get angry. Well, friends, that is part of the human experience. And maybe you did sin, too. That doesn't have to define you. You did not lose your worth because you lost your temper. And you're not losing your worth, friends. When we are living into who we are, and sometimes people misunderstand, maybe people do think you're an angry person. But friends, at your core, you are a child of God. Let's just take a moment, friends. I, I hope that when you hear messages like this, when you read passages like this, it will give you the freedom to fully own what is going on in your life. 
Jesus wants to save you in this actual life. Whatever you are struggling with, whatever you are going through, don't think that this is too mundane. This is too profane for God. My anger is something I need to keep far, far away from God. No, friends, be angry and do not sin. But make no mistake, you can express that anger with God, to God, in God. You can bring your full self. You can bring your frustrations. You can bring your disappointments. You can bring all of that. And hopefully as you do, you will also be able to hear the voice of God say, you are none of those things. You are not your anger. You are not your disappointment. You are not your frustration. You are not your anxiety. You are not your successes or your failures. You are a child of God and I love you. I love you. This changes nothing. I love you. I love you. You are mine. I love you. You will never lose your word. I love you. Precious God, as we reflect upon this truth, God, I recognize that for many of us, when we behave in a way that seems socially unacceptable, maybe people laugh at us or judge us or um, are disturbed by what they see. God, it's so easy to get caught up in what people think. It's so easy to get caught up in trying to uh, curate people's impressions of us. But Lord, I pray that more than anything, we will know, God, that you love us. When we're angry, frustrated on good days and bad when we're at peace when we are in conflict you love us we are your children that will never change in Jesus name we pray Amen